Dialectical Behavior Therapy was created in the 1980s by Marsha Linehan in Seattle, Washington. Today, DBT is taught all over the world. We're two therapists who believe everyone can benefit from DBT skills. I'm Kate. I'm Michelle. And And this this is is DBT and Me. Hello, everyone. Hi, everybody. And welcome to Q&A number 56, about which I still know nothing. Dot, dot, dot. Dot, dot, dot. This is number 56. (laughs) The Q&A after a milestone. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Oh, poor 56. Anyway, I think it's going to be, it's going to be a good one. We've got some interesting questions here and Mm -hmm. I think you start us off. I do with, I think the longest one out of the four for today. So we're just going to think so right in. Okay. So it says, hello, I'm a big fan of your podcast and have gotten so much from the Q and A's now for a question of my own. I've been with my partner for three years, and we are moving in together soon, which is exciting. She has a mental health diagnosis, bipolar 1, and she has been hospitalized in the past for psychotic episodes, but not since we've been together. She's not currently taking medication or seeing a therapist. I have a lot of anxiety, for which I see a therapist myself, and one of my fears is that she will have a mental health episode without having a support system or safety plan in place, and I won't know what to do. I have seen her get very down on occasion, and we had one scare earlier where she got very up and became disconnected from reality, but she was able to stabilize herself and crash back down to earth. It was hard. When we had that scare, I was frantically emailing mental health clinics to see if they had openings, which is why I want her to put supports in place now when things are stable versus scrambling in the moment. Can you tell I'm an overplanner? They say. I've encouraged her to seek therapy or at least make a safety plan with me for if she has an episode. She shuts down these conversations, either saying nothing or, quote, agreeing, unquote, but then not doing anything. I get the sense it feels way too vulnerable and intense for her to confront this. But my anxiety about what could happen is through the roof, especially since we're about to take this huge step of living together and maybe marriage someday. Are there DBT skills that could help me have the conversation with her where I communicate how important it is to me for her to seek mental health support? And are there DBT skills that could help me manage my own anxieties about this? When someone has a diagnosis like this, what are the things we do and don't need to talk about together to make sure we are both safe in the event something happens? I love her and don't want to nag, but this worry keeps me up at night. Thanks so much. Aw, well, thanks for listening for apparently a while now and loving the Q&As. I'm always excited to hear when people love Q&As. Also, uh, as has happened on numerous occasions, uh, I'm sure we've referenced before, Michelle got to her notes first, which means that sometimes I am the person who's talking first, but my notes were written second. So it does make for an interesting mix. So I'm going to start by saying that I love everything Michelle is going to say after I'm done talking. Uh, And because I think one of the things that she and I do best is is coming at things from maybe different angles or looking at things from a different approach. Uh, Despite the fact that if I had written first, I might have written close to what she wrote. I decided to try and take a different tactic um, to, yeah, try and help. Yeah. Uh, In case Michelle's 
uh, suggestions don't work out or you want to do it a little bit differently. Um, I do think that there is uh, space for having the conversation be more from a dear man stance and maybe even with some fast be thrown in. Right? I think letting your partner know that while you do very much want her to seek help in and of herself, basically, you know, self-motivatedly, that's not a word, um, that you'd love her to have her own motivation for seeking that help, um, that it's also a boundary of yours that you need. And I figure fill in the blank here with the things that are actually like that important to you, whether that be her to do safety planning with you, her to get into therapy, her to seek out medications, whatever the thing is that you really feel like you need to have in place in order to feel safe and comfortable sharing a living environment with her. Right. And I think that would be the approach to take with dear man, not a like another way of trying to nag her into doing something for herself. Cause I know you said you're worried about becoming a nag, but um, I was actually listening to something today that was talking about boundaries as rules we set for ourselves, right. Mm -hmm. As one way of looking at it. Yeah. Right. And so you can think to yourself, right. A rule that you're setting for yourself is I can't live with someone with this severity of mental health issues. Who's not doing anything to manage it. And that's fine. Right. That doesn't mean you don't love her. It doesn't even mean you're judging her for whatever action she is or is not taking, right? It just means we all need a sense of safety in our living environment. And if her totally uncontrolled and also unplanned for um, mental health issues is something that's going to make you feel unsafe in your living environment, then that's a really great place to try and set a boundary, right? Um, and that one way to do that would be to go about it with a sort of dear man, uh, not stance, but a dear man structure. Uh, and the stance is going to depend a lot on how, <laughs> how things go. Michelle's going to advocate forgive. And again, I think that's great. Um, and sometimes people are too resistant. Forgive to be the way through, right? You might need to be really solid and really firm, right? With a fast, right? Talking about the no apologies, Right? You don't need to apologize for setting a boundary for yourself to keep your living environment feeling safe for you. Right, This is about values and you sticking to them. Right, It's fair of you to be saying, right, like, you know, you don't need to do anything you don't want to do about or for or with your mental health. And I need to take care of myself and my own emotional well-being and safety. Right. So you can be fair to both of you. Right. There's there's still a way to be grounded and even kind from a fast perspective. And that may be necessary depending how hard your partner pushes back um, against all of these things. Um, as for some skills for managing your own anxiety, I always like tip. I specifically like the intense exercise and the temperature parts, but your mileage may vary. Um, I like tip for when uh, anxiety gets really intense and I like self-soothe. If anxiety isn't as intense and could just be more yeah, soothed away as opposed to sort of like worked out through your body, uh, as well as perhaps some thoughts from accepts, right? Something nice and distracting, something to get your mind off of this sort of uh, consistent worry that's keeping you up at nights and really you know, on your mind a lot. Um, and uh, let's see, final question. Oh, the I was like, what am I? I wasn't asking questions. What am I referring to? Your final question. Uh, I could go on about for too long. So I will stick to saying that uh, you 
probably want to talk with your partner with curiosity about their experience and what they are afraid of and what they are hoping the future looks like around their mental health issues or diagnosis. So, yeah. So, yeah. So, yeah. Oh, it struck. It struck early this time, Michelle. The <laughs> so, yes. Uh, so I'm going to let you start doing this, and once again, I'm going to let my cat in, because it's not its not really an episode if Jin doesn't interrupt. Whether or not we cut that out for you guys is a whole other matter, but he interrupts pretty much everyone <laughs> we ever record, so, you know. <laughs> oh, yeah, we're, we're going to give you a whole lot of things to pick and choose from here, listener, because, I mean, I really, this, well, okay, I'll start here. There's a lot to say. Kate and I were very much in agreement, just to start from the beginning, that it is an absolutely realistic expectation to not take the step forward to living together until your partner is reengaged in some kind of mental health treatment. I think we both fully, fully agree there. Um, and I actually think we're going to, even though I might suggest some things a little differently than Kate talked about some stuff, I mean, we're really getting at much the same thing with the different skills we're suggesting and the different ways to talk with your partner and all of that. But the other thing that stood out to me about what you were writing is that, oh, gosh, I do. I worry that your efforts to help your partner and are just it's kind of leading you to step into that role of caretaker and that that's actually doing more harm than good and it is it's really hard when somebody that you love and care about so much is struggling all you want to do is help them and I get it because I'm there often I mean my husband struggles with his mental health I have to constantly catch myself from not just getting into that place it's really hard but the problem that it creates is then you are doing more work for her mental health than she's doing for her mental health. And that is not a good place to be in for your relationship long term, because that's going to lead to both of you getting resentful of each other over the long haul. If she doesn't want you doing as much as you're doing and you want her to be doing more than she is, it's not a good place to be. Um, big picture wise for your relationship. So this is why we want to start doing things differently. Um, so yeah, Kate and I both, I just said so yeah too. Uh, we, we both, I think really, <laughs> we focused on the piece, your question of, are there DBT skills that could help me have the conversation with her where I communicate how important it is for me to have her seek mental health support. So to summarize what Kate was saying Kate was suggesting doing it in a dear man sort of way, especially if maybe past attempts to talk with her haven't worked so well and really making sure you're sticking to the principles of fast when you do it. Um, I was kind of thinking, and of course, neither of us have been there for any of these conversations. We don't know you or your partner or your relationship or how these talks have gone. My gut feeling was telling me, that you've probably been trying to take a dear man approach without success. And what I mean by that is my guess is that when you've been approaching these conversations with her, you've probably tried to be very practical and very reason-mind. <laughs> and you're just bringing all that in to be like, these are all the reasons why I think you should do therapy. And dear man has, you know, this outline where it starts with, 
describing the facts and, um, you know, that kind of a thing. And Dear Man doesn't have to be super cut and dry. It can look a whole bunch of ways depending on which letter you might place more emphasis on. But I just got the sense that when you've talked with her in the past, you have had one goal that you've been laser focused on, which is to get her to get help. And that that approach maybe isn't working so well to just be focused so much on the outcome that you want. Totally understandable outcome. I want that too for you and for her. (laughs) Makes sense. But that focusing so much on that goal isn't working. And that what could potentially work instead is if you brought in more elements of give. Um, So Kate was kind of referencing that I would talk about this a little bit. But I mean, the reason why I think that's important is because people might warm up. You said she's shutting down a lot in conversations. She might be less likely to shut down if you really bring in some validation and a more gentle approach and acting interested in her perspective. As Kate was acknowledging, maybe you've tried this and maybe it hasn't worked. In which case, by all means, do what Kate was suggesting and I fully support that. If you haven't really given it your all with trying to just listen to her talking about why she maybe stopped going to therapy why she's not so interested in doing it right now. Really put yourself in her shoes and try to understand it, even if you don't disagree with her perspective. And maybe if you really bring in some elements of give, she might soften a little bit and feel like the two of you are a little more on the same team rather than feeling like you're enemies with totally different goals here. We don't want it to feel that way with a partner. We want it to feel like you're united, even if ultimately you do want different things, that you're at least able to see why she's coming from the perspective she's coming from. So I would try that. If you haven't tried give, try some give. See if it changes anything. See if she opens up a little bit more. Um, Kate also addressed some skills for managing your own anxiety, which I really liked. I was thinking of totally different skills. (laughs) Again, I think all of these could be helpful. So just really pick and choose what fits for you. I wrote it down verbatim like this in my notes. Tons and tons and tons of radical acceptance. Heaping gobs of radical acceptance over and over and over again. Um... To really accept that even if your partner does seek the mental health treatment that you so desperately want her to get, bipolar one is there. There is always the risk of her having a depressive episode or having a manic episode. And it sounds like her mania may come with some psychosis. That is is it going anywhere? Even if it gets really well managed, it's still there. Um, And so that's something that you're signing up for by committing to be with her for the rest of your life, which it sounds like you are really committed to this relationship. So this is going to be something to come back to a lot, (laughs) um, is recognizing that her mental health may always be a struggle to some degree or another. Thankfully, it's been pretty well managed for the last three years, even without her getting a whole lot of support, which is incredible. 
but we never know what the future holds. Um, and along those lines of not really knowing what the future holds, I think it might also be a, a good idea. I wrote it down as like a mindfulness check the facts combo. And what I mean by that is that if you catch yourself future tripping and thinking ahead to how bad could things get if she doesn't do therapy, bring it back to the now. Um, so if you're able to check the facts and think about, okay, the, the, the facts are, it sounds like she has not had a mental health episode for some time, even without being in therapy, without being on meds. That sounds like a fact. Maybe that will help calm some of your worries. It doesn't mean that it couldn't happen tomorrow. Of course it could, but it's not happening right now. If you're able to use mindfulness to bring you back to the now, and check the facts of the present moment, maybe that will help calm anxiety for you a little bit. I hope so. Okay, I'm almost done. Um, so so the last part, because um, you asked such good questions, listener. I mean, I think we really both wanted to hit on all of these because they're so good. Uh, the what are the things we do and don't need to talk about together? So Kate and I took different approaches, I think, to this question because um, Kate was, I think, really validating the importance of validating your partner. Like Kate was talking about some elements of give there, actually. So our stuff wound up oh, pretty well. probably true. <laughs> um, I actually was thinking much more practically here for this last question, which is to know the warning signs for your partner. Chances are in conversations that the two of you have had about her mental health, she has probably given you these answers. Um, or you've maybe seen them for yourself during the times where, like you said, she did have like kind of a down mood, she did have an up mood. You maybe got a taste. Um, but know what to keep an eye out for. That's the biggest thing that I can recommend. And even though she's not necessarily open to engaging in safety planning with you, um, as Kate was acknowledging pretty nicely here, like boundaries are about you knowing what you will do and not do in response to another person's choices or behavior. So you can set up something for yourself. Even if she won't safety plan with you, you can decide, okay, if I see her do X, then I'm gonna do this. If I see her do Y, then I'm gonna do this. And you can just make a, de a decision for yourself of how you want to respond. Um, if it helps you at all, I don't know if this way of thinking would be helpful or not, but I kind of feel like with mental health, um, it can be like a stoplight, right? Green, yellow, and red lights. There are some mental health symptoms where like full stop, that person needs immediate intervention and care to keep themselves safe. So if there are certain behaviors that you want to keep an eye out for, certain warning signs that are really serious, you might classify those as like being red and just know, okay, if I see anything that's red, I'm going to call 911. That's probably what you would be doing. Okay, what's the yellow? What's the stuff where it's like, okay, this isn't great, but this doesn't require maybe anything like right now. Kind of know those middle ground things and again, come up with a plan for what you will do if you see them. And then also for the, for the green light stuff, it might just be like, I don't know, let's say she gets one night of bad sleep. Okay something's happening. It might not be a warning sign of anything. <laughs> it's it's probably okay. Like kind of know those things where it's like, all right, 
maybe these things could happen, but it's probably not anything that's going to require me to take any kind of action. I'll just keep an eye on it, <laughs> right? Like watch for it to become a pattern. It's probably not a big deal, but I'm just going to make a mental note that I don't need to do anything for stuff that would be like a green light. Um, yellow light, you probably do need to do some stuff. Red light, you are doing things immediately um, to make sure she gets care. So that could be something to think about in terms of, um, you know, the question of like, are things we do and don't need to talk about? Again, I hope that she would engage in those conversations with you because those would be the things to talk about. What does she perceive as her green, yellow, and red warning signs? But if she won't talk about those with you, you at least need to kind of know for yourself and what you'll do in response. Okay, I'm okay. done. We again, we start off with a bang <laughs> for this one. The next three are shorter and right? much less complex. All right, so the next one says, hello, I'm about 10 weeks into my DBT journey and am loving it so far, which has really shocked me. Does anyone have any tips on how to become more involved with your DBT journey? Daily habits, extra daily homework you set yourself, reminders, inspirations, all that fun stuff. I do my weekly homework and diary cards, but just feel like I could be doing more to really grow in my journey. Thanks. Oh. This is amazing. Awesome listener. Way to go. This is super cool. Um, the biggest thing that I would recommend is trying to build community. So trying to connect with other people in your DBT group. I'm assuming you're in a group. Actually, now that I reread this, I don't know if you specified that. You said you're about 10 weeks into your DBT journey. I'm hoping you're in a DBT group. If you're not, Find one. Uh, that would be an amazing next step. Um, find people who are also learning DBT and working on their mental health. Find community. Um, if you're in an existing group, get to know the people in your group. Um, consider starting to spend time with them outside of group so that you can really support each other in like real life situations. A lot of times, I mean, DBT groups do have like a homework check-in at the beginning and that kind of a thing, but you're in just like a very controlled, contained setting when you're in group for an hour and a half or two hours each week. Like then you go out into the wild of your life and you're trying to use DBT skills and it's a whole different ball game. And if you find other people who are doing that, who you can support and who they can support you, that's amazing. So get connected to other people who are also learning DBT. That's the biggest thing I would recommend. Um, I also thought I would throw in here because you were asking like about inspiration. There were three um, people that I would recommend following on Instagram if you're not already following them in the DBT community. I follow them great stuff. Um, so online DBT skills, I would follow. Um, Kate and I know the um, person who runs that, Alicia. She's amazing. So follow at online DBT skills. Also, um, positively DBT. Oh, also, these are all on Instagram. I don't know if I said these are on Instagram. I think you did. I did. Okay, hopefully. Yes. So these, are, these three are on Instagram. So um, follow at positively DBT. Um, that's a really great account. And then the third one is at DBT self-help site. So I would recommend looking those three up. Um, and the other thing, like as far as a skill goes, um, I don't know why I decided to throw this in there, but when they're like, I really feel like I could be doing more to grow my journey. 
I just thought to myself, always keep working on please. Like, we are never, well, always never. Let me soften that a little bit. <laughs> I mean, but <laughs> truly, like, it's super hard to be doing please all the time. Yes. Katie and I often say that nobody's really ever perfect with That's their true. please skills. No, I know. I'm joking. I, I would be tempted to say no one's ever. I think we have used the once. term never with please a lot. We're like, no one's ever doing please good enough. Um, it is always an area to come back to. Please is huge. It really, yep. really is. It's. A, I think it is a foundational skill that if nothing else, if you're like, hey, I'm really wanting to make sure I'm using some DBT this week. Make sure that you are doing please first and foremost. So think about that a lot as you're on this journey. And if you're like, I don't know what please is yet, Kate and Michelle, what is that skill? You'll get Go find the episode <laughs> and Google it. Um, yeah, but really lean into please skills because I think we grow when we are making sure that we're taking care of our physical self. I mean, that sets the foundation for everything else we're going to do with DBT is please in a lot of ways. Love it. Um, also, I love it because our biases show in the skills we recommend. The um, I, so, I knew you were going to probably recommend mindfulness, which is also super uh-huh. foundational. So. <laughs> um, so the first cheeky response I had was listen to the podcast. Ha ha. Um, sorry, just because that seems funny. Uh, though, honestly, something I didn't think about when I was writing my notes, but retrospectively seems like an obvious thing to add in would be check out some of the DBT apps. We have a whole episode where we talk about all of them. I cannot for the life of me tell you the names of them anymore. Go find the episode. (laughs) But there are apps. There are good apps um, to really help you do more on a day-to-day basis like quizzes and shit right like there's mm. there's a lot to be That's found in some idea, of these Kate. yeah i never thought of that when writing our notes <laughs> right i don't understand anyway yes. <laughs> uh yeah so apps 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 there's a lot of good ones for very different ways of engaging with dbt so almost without knowing what you're looking for i can say you'll probably find a app that does it um or something close to it so Uh, that and let's see I think dbt books right to supplement either the books or the handouts that you have for your group whether that be workbooks or just you know books that you can read about dbt and the skills or to help you learn the skills right you can always supplement the reading material from your group that Michelle points out I am also assuming you are in so if you're not in it just get books not to supplement but just to get them Uh, and skill-wise, yes, I am recommending leaning into mindfulness and wise mind as to, wow, that was a weird squeaky thing. Am I losing my voice all of a sudden? Stop it. Wise mind. That sounds like my, my what the hell is going on? Anyway, <laughs> oh, leaning into mindfulness and wise mind, because uh, to my way of thinking, those are two of the skills that really underlie most of every other DBT skill. Right, like you being in the present moment, being aware of yourself, bringing both your emotion and your reason mind on board. Right, that whole balanced middle path, all that stuff. Right, the the thing they added into CBT to make it DBT. I'm oversimplifying. Don't worry, it's not that straightforward. But um, yeah, mindfulness and wise mind. Those would be the skills that I would say. So, oh, I almost said it. I did not say it. You're next. <laughs> I'll go next. Okay. This one says, I struggle keeping my house clean and tidy. I try to use willingness, self-compassion, etc. If there's anything else skills-wise, please suggest. 
I struggle with the day-to-day -day cleaning to keep it tidy. I get upset or tired or angry and just skip that day, which then leads into weeks. I feel it could be linked to my self-worth as well. Any suggestions? Well, I want to start off by first of all saying a resounding me too. I also struggle in against the forces of entropy and chaos, which is a messy house. I am a very cluttered human being and find it difficult. So first off, just a giant dose of empathy from me to the listener, because it's difficult. That said, some skills. So uh, the first one, and I think this probably is surprising because uh, it's none of the ones I normally suggest first, is wise mind. For instance, right, on the one hand, you might have, yes, I am tired and depressed and angry and I just don't even want to, right? That would be your emotion mind. But logically, you know that the tomorrow version of yourself uh, will have a better day if you run the dishwasher, right? It's both and. It's not, you don't have to just honor your feelings or just snow plow over yourself with your logic. You get to look at and honor your whole self in order to keep yourself going on that. Uh, something else that can be helpful is mindfulness of the task at hand. So narrating the task to yourself as you perform it to make sure you're in the moment and focused on the task. Um, pretending perhaps that you are an alien who has never seen or done these tasks before and trying to like mindfully observe the process of going through these tasks. Right? There's a lot of different ways that mindfulness can help even just being non-judgmentally in the present moment right a lot of what at least for me keeps me out of chores is stuff that i'm thinking about the future right if i could be in the present moment i would have a much easier time um doing the chore in that moment uh and last but not least i'll try not to go into it because i think i've probably referenced this idea multiple times before but um while i am a huge one for self-compassion and willingness and all of those things also, I think it's important to talk about what I consider, and it's not necessarily how these are used in the dictionary, but the difference between kind and nice, where nice is giving in to the I'm tired and I don't wanna, which totally makes sense because we all need to give in to that sometimes because we're all taught to just push through everything forever and that's nonsense. Um, versus kind, which is I'm gonna run the dishwasher because tomorrow me will have a much easier time of it if I do, right? That's kindness for yourself. It has a longer term view. Yeah, longer term view, right? It can see further into the future and know, yeah, it'd be nice, haha, to give in to the immediate me and do what she wants. It's gonna be a lot kinder to recognize that I exist later and there are consequences to the things I choose not to do right now. So that is something that I can do with myself as long as I, you know, it's not necessarily that every time I think about kind versus nice, I'm gonna be choosing the kind thing because that would be imbalanced, right? It's important to have both kind and nice days on our plate, kind and nice responses to ourselves. But it can let me know if I'm like, all right, three days running now, I've been leaning pretty heavy on the nice side of the teeter-totter. <laughs> I need to put a, some time in on the kind side, right? I need to do a couple of things that keep in mind a future version of myself and not just the present moment self. So those I think are my suggestions. Nice. Um, I was thinking there's this term, I'm not really gonna be talking about much DBT stuff. I don't think, <laughs> I can't think of how to classify anything I'm talking about into DBT skills or terms, but there's a term out there called slicing it thinner. And we've talked about this before. I know I've mentioned this on other Q&As as well. Like you were talking about how you've talked about kind versus nice before. <laughs> I've talked about slicing it thinner before, right? If it's too much to run a marathon, run a mile. 
it's too much to run a mile. Can you walk a mile? If that's too much, can you walk down the block, right? Like, just slice it thinner and thinner and thinner and still, until you do something. And I think that principle could hopefully be really helpful for you, listener, when it comes to cleaning your house. It's likely too much and overwhelming you to think about trying to clean the entire house in one go. So don't think about it that way. Um, I know you were mentioning like day-to-day cleaning stuff. Um, in particular, the day-to-day cleaning, there's probably a lot of little tasks that you're trying to do day-to-day. But yeah, if it's too much to do all of that when you come home or to do all of that every day, try to slice it thinner and narrow it down and make it easier and easier until you go, that I can do. Let me do that. And then sometimes what happens is that we do the thing that we pick and then we go, huh, that wasn't so bad. Now I think I could do something else. And then before we know it, we've kind of worked up to either accomplishing everything we hope to accomplish or accomplishing maybe sometimes even more than we expected. That can happen sometimes with this approach when you just really set a low bar for yourself and then you reach it and that feels good. And then you can raise the bar ever so slightly and hopefully you can still reach that. Um, So that's a way of thinking about it that I hope could be helpful for you. On a kind of a practical level, I was also wondering if there might be things that, tasks that you could maybe give to somebody else if possible or do very, very sparingly when it comes to house cleaning. So I don't know if you live with a partner or roommates or kids, or maybe you live completely alone and this is all on you. But if you do live with other people, it might not be a bad idea to sit down and have a conversation about division of household tasks um, and seeing who can maybe carry some of that load with you if they're not already caring very much of it. And when I say also that you could give to someone else, depending on your means, depending on what works for you, consider seeing if you could hire a house cleaner or again, even if like that's too (laughs) beyond reach. I mean, maybe there's a friend that you have and maybe there's something you could do for that friend that could really benefit them. And then maybe your friend's open to coming over and helping you with cleaning the house once a week. I mean, who knows? But just getting really creative and thinking about how can I not have this feel like as big of a burden as it feels to me. Um, With the piece that I said about doing something very, very sparingly, I would pick maybe one or two tasks that you just hate. And hopefully, like there are some things, right? Yeah, dishes, taking out the garbage. Those are kind of more essential. I'm thinking for myself, this is dusting. I hate dusting. I hate it. It is my least Favorite by far household chore. I resent dusting. Good news is life doesn't end if I don't do it very often. Um, <laughs> and so I just I just try to be really, uh, as Kate would put it, nice to myself when it comes to dusting. Yes, I do need to dust my house a few times a year for sure. But I don't put pressure on myself to like dust every week. I'm like, no, <laughs> I'm just not going to. <laughs> I'm going to just, again, like slice it thinner and what amount or frequency of dusting feels realistic to me. And that's what I do. So my guess is, listener, that you probably have something that is your dusting that's the chore you dislike the most and see if it's one that you can do sparingly. And life won't end, hopefully, if you don't do it very often. Um, Along the lines, I mean, Kate was talking about, yeah, nice. And the concept of that, I think, you know, a lot of times a common strategy is people talk about like rewarding yourself 
right? So clean the house. And then when you clean the house, then you get to do mm. this thing that you're really looking forward to. Not a bad approach, but let's mix it up for a minute. And I would recommend actually, in your case, doing something fun or nice for yourself before doing the cleaning. And the reason for this is because I'm hoping that that will recharge your batteries a little bit. If you are feeling like your gas tank is on empty and that's, and you said that, right? I get upset or tired or angry, right? So the tired there is an indicator that some days you just don't have enough gas left in the tank to clean. Doing something fun or nice for yourself first before cleaning may charge up your batteries a little bit and also doesn't get you into this place where like you're beating yourself up or depriving yourself of something you want. If you don't clean, give yourself the nice thing anyways. <laughs> you deserve to do something fun or nice for yourself, even if you have a messy house. Okay. Um, so I would recommend doing something first before you start cleaning. And then when you are doing the cleaning, pick something to make it more enjoyable. The biggest thing that I recommend for that, listen to music while you clean. If you like podcasts, which chances are maybe you do because you're listening to ours. Um, but if there's a podcast that you really like or something like that, listen to podcast episodes while you clean. While you're in the act of cleaning, try to do something to make it a little more enjoyable while you're doing it. That could be something that might help. Um, and then the last thing I'll say is even though I think maybe on the surface this might look like a pretty minor struggle, my guess is that this does not feel like a minor struggle to you at all when you're struggling to keep your house clean and tidy and that this may really be impacting. Again, it sounds like it's really impacting. Like you said, it could be linked to your self-worth, right? You're feeling really bad about yourself that your house is not clean and tidy and that this could be impacting your life more than we know. Um, and that's not something to feel like shame or to feel bad about, but like, I would just say that this may be something if you are working with a therapist, I would bring this up if you haven't already. I've had many clients actually do this where like, we will have worked with each other for sometimes years. And then one day randomly, they're like, you know, Michelle, I've never talked to you about this, <laughs> but they will. They'll be like, I'm terrible at like keeping up with my house and I feel so bad about it. And it's gotten so out of hand. And you know, it's really the state of our home can be a big factor in how we feel mental health wise. So I would talk about it with your therapist if you haven't already and dive into this a little bit deeper. Um, and in the meantime, hopefully some of what we suggested will will help a little. All right. On to the last one. Mm -hmm. This one reads, what are some good DBT skills to use while working on increasing positive self-image and self-esteem? My DBT group has been on hiatus for six weeks and doesn't resume for another two, and I'm feeling lost. In the meantime, my therapist and I have been working on the fact that I have zero self-esteem slash self-worth and no positive feelings about myself. She has been using a lot of things I'm pretty sure are more CBT-based from a website she uses. We have gone over check the facts, though. What other ones, so other skills, can I refresh myself on? And then in brackets it says that they have the entire workbook. Okay, nice. I love that you have the workbook because that's a great thing to be turning to during this group hiatus. Uh, the first skill that came to mind for me, like really, really, really strongly came to mind for me when it comes to struggling with self-image and self-esteem is ABC. 
especially the A and the B of ABC. Kate and I talk about this sometimes, right? Copahead really feels like a standalone thing. Um, but the A for um, accumulating positive emotions and the B for build mastery, both of those things can really, really help with self-esteem if you are intentionally practicing them regularly. That part feels important. Don't think that you're going to do something to build mastery once and then ta-da. No, consistency is going to be really, really key. Um, and with the A, like the, the accumulating positive emotions through like doing events, um, events, activities. I don't remember what exact term DBT uses, but like I recommend sometimes for people picking a small one that you can do every single day that's doable for making sure you're adding something that you like to do into your day. And then like a long-term one, something that you maybe have to plan for, something that, you know, you might have to save up money for, something to look forward to. That's really important. The other thing that I was thinking about skills-wise is the importance of building a relationship with your with your wise mind. Um, I talk about this way, 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 way back in our wise mind episode when we were baby podcasters, Kate. That was our Aww. second episode of all time. We covered That's the most important, probably, DBT skill. <laughs> no pressure <laughs> on us. Um, but I talked a little bit in that episode about, um, for me... And how my therapist helped me get in touch with my wise mind is thinking of it like a wise adult self. So really thinking about this part of me that has in the past and is capable currently of making good decisions for myself. And what I would recommend is to spend a little bit of time with your wise adult self every single day and truly imagine her, right? Well, I just said her. I don't know the gender of this listener. Oops. <laughs> Yours is a her, which I suspect is why you defaulted yeah, to that. Yeah, that's probably part of it. Um, <laughs> and really think about what this part of you looks like, right? Really build up um, an image of them. And imagine yourself like taking a little bit of time to sit with them every day and bringing something that you're worrying about or something that's stressing you out. And just imagine having a conversation with your wise adult self and just listening to how your wise adult responds when you're saying like, hey, I'm really struggling with blank. And just see what comes. And this really does take a lot of practice. This is not going to necessarily happen right away. But if you can really channel and think about the wisdom that you already have within you from past decisions that you made that were wise mind choices, just channel that all into this image of yourself being a wise adult, then just see, see what starts to come um, as responses if you do this enough. And the other thing, which isn't necessarily DBT related, but I think it is really important to make sure that you're in regular contact with the trusted other if you have one, which I hope you do, because everybody needs at least one trusted other in their life. Um, I'm so glad you have your therapist. That's amazing. I'm also thinking about somebody like that you can call like two in the morning if you need to, which is not your therapist. Don't call your therapist at two in the morning. Uh, call a crisis line if you really need to. But I mean, somebody who, you know, you really trust going to when you're struggling with things, somebody who like really 
sees you in a positive light and admires you and respects you and believes in you. I hope you have somebody in your life like that, whether it's a family member or a friend or like a coworker, or whoever it is, but like just make sure you're spending a lot of time with that person while you're on hiatus um, from your group. Um, because when other people view us positively, sometimes that can rub off on us. Uh, it takes time, but it happens when like they view us so positively and warmly and then we're around them. Some of those things that they might say to us, we hear it, even if it's hard for us to believe it, and then eventually we can internalize it. So spend time with people who view you in a really positive light and think highly of you. And hopefully that may help with increasing the way that you view yourself. I, I hope so. Okay. So, uh, like, <laughs> like I've said a couple of times now, and it remains true that you got through the notes first, uh, or got through putting notes in first. So I actually talked again, about DBT a... skills for this one. You did. I know, right? That's normally the way I can I swoop don't in. Like, ah, Michelle's, <laughs> Michelle's going to go off on non-DBT things, and so I can just swoop in and take all the DBT skills. Uh, but no, you've got a bunch in there this time. So... I will just add a couple more on to that before we wrap up for today. The first being, unsurprisingly, self-soothing. But in particular, I know it sounds weird, but I swear, self-soothing is a good way to address uh, issues of self-esteem and self-worth because when we treat ourselves with gentleness and kindness, which is a part of self-soothing, uh, it gives us the message that we think we are worth treating that way. Right? Like, that is a way of enacting a belief in our self-worth, even if we don't consciously think of ourselves as having much worth. And that is something that can make an impact, uh, especially done repeatedly over time. Uh, and lastly, also unsurprisingly, I'm such a broken record. I'm glad I mentioned some other skills today because Jesus, uh, but mindfulness, uh, because right. It's, it's, it's a good place to get curious, I guess. Right. So mindfulness, sort of mindfulness of your current emotions or your state, but with some questions in there. So for instance, wondering where does this self-hatred come from? Is it mine? I like, did this come from me or was I given this self-hatred by parents, by trauma, by society, by whatever, right? Is this actually mine or is this something that I was given? And are all these things that I think about myself, are these actually facts? Are these observable, tangible facts? Or are these judgments? Right? And if they're judgments, can I let go of them just for these few moments while I'm being mindful? Right? And so ideally mindfulness, when you can really reach a mindful space, because it's a space of no judgment, it's also a space of no self-hate. Right? And so if you can go to little oasises of mindfulness in your day, it can be quite the place to rest. And also it's, again, it's a place where you're putting effort into yourself. And every time we put effort into ourselves, that helps reinforce the idea that we are worth that effort. So those are my thoughts. Hmm. Lovely. All right. So if you have a question for us, you can either send it to us in an email at dbtmepodcast at gmail.com. Or if you are a member of our Facebook group, you can post in there. And if you're not a member of the Facebook group yet, we have the link in the show notes. So you can just scroll down and join. We would love to see you in the Facebook group. So we'll see you guys back soon for our next Q&A. 
Sounds good. See you guys then. Thanks, everybody. To learn more about us and the DBT skills we're teaching each week, join our Facebook group. Simply log in to your Facebook profile and search for DBT and Me Podcast.